0: Yeah, let's do it. Are we doing okay? You doing okay? Am I doing okay? Anyone? Is anyone doing okay? Is everyone just doing okay? Yeah, we're doing okay. I had a buddy come over the other day. He's doing okay. I think you should know. He's doing okay. One of my teacher friends, he said he has a little health ailment he's dealing with. And then I told him, oh yeah, I'm very, very familiar with health ailments. And then we go back and forth. Yeah, well, what are you doing for your ankle? Uh, uh Uh-huh. What are you doing for your cholesterol? Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And what are you doing for your pancreas these days? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I heard on a podcast, we shouldn't be eating this anymore, and we should be taking this herb. What are you doing for your insomnia? Uh Uh-huh. What are you doing for digestion? Yeah. No, we shouldn't be eating that anymore. We should probably be taking this herb, though. And we go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And what are we doing when we talk about health? We're talking about extending this, right? Why are we trying to fix ourselves constantly? We're trying to fix ourselves physically, mentally, mentally, physically. And I guess the answer is because we want to stick around. But then my buddy said, actually, I don't fear death at all. And I was surprised because you don't usually hear people say that. Usually our actions are quite the opposite, right? I'm worried about this because I want to live a long life. I'm worried about something morbid, something irrational. I'm worried about something in the future that could happen. You know, that's not mindful thinking, but a lot of us are plagued by that kind of thinking. So what do you do if you really care? You try your hardest every day to live a healthy life, mentally and physically. But my buddy's like, no, I think I'm relegated to the fact that death is just totally fine. It's what unites all of us. And he seemed to have a healthy view of it. And the more and more he talked, I realized how unhealthy my view of death is. It just sounds supremely awful. Something that we all experience just sounds so supremely awful. I guess it's okay if you objectively think that way, but having that hover above you constantly that's not fun it's not the right way to live and this guy seems to be living a good life every day because he's gotten his mind wrapped around death with a positive spin like i'm good with it and this is a guy that's actually genuinely dealing with a health issue and he didn't need my pity oh no 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 no. i guess our death is fine It's just the people around you you'll miss right oh hey great start to the podcast that's a little bit dark But we're curious, right? We're curious. What should we be taking? What's the quick fix to get to 100? There's a new Netflix docu-series called Blue Zones. My wife and I were watching the first episode. Last night, it takes place in Okinawa. I think there's some zones around planet Earth where some people just live longer. So this great journalist goes out to interview the people in these regions, and they do in-depth studies of what these people are like. And I've only watched Okinawa, Japan, And these people who were living into their 90s to 100 past 100, seems like their diets were pretty uh, natural from the earth, organic. No preservatives, nothing processed. We're just going to be gardening and eating what we harvest. That's some old school shit. None of us can really do that. I mean, we can garden. My wife gardens. You know, she grows tomatoes, cucumbers, eggplant, corn, corn jalapenos, cilantro. She's got a great garden going, but we still go to the grocery store. you kidding me? We still go down the snack aisle. We still go down the frozen food aisle. I mean, don't we all? Who's really eating like these old folks in Okinawa where they're just so focused on their purple sweet potatoes? Oh, there was like five minutes on their purple sweet potatoes is what keeps them alive. And I'm just like, I'm not eating purple sweet potatoes every day. And their purple sweet potato diets is what's keeping them going. And you're just like, okay, I can't relate to that. And then they're like, and these are the people that avoid anger. And I'm like, oh, is that all? They avoid, have, I'm almost angry that they made it sound so simple. Oh, really? You could just avoid anger, people of Okinawa? How do you do that? People are so annoying. Shitty people are so shitty and annoying people are so annoying. Is there a way? Is there a way I could just deflect that and all of a sudden change my mindset like these people of Okinawa and just don't get angry? And then they also got into some very serious stuff like loneliness is an epidemic. So surround yourself with nice people that that's true. Loneliness is an epidemic in America and it was exacerbated by the pandemic but it existed before that and it's happening right now where a lot of people on their devices feel connected maybe to the world but deep down that's not a real connection just posting your thoughts and connecting on facebook twitter snapchat instagram tiktok that's not nah, nah, that's not real when the phone goes into your pocket the world around you that that's real that's real So you got to get into that. And then ikigai was this Japanese word for purpose. Do something that matters. And this is a recipe that might sound obvious to some people. Oh yeah, good diet, surround yourself with nice people, don't get angry and have purpose. Yeah, but ikigai, you really got to find that. And I think for me in a weird way, maybe doing this damn podcast, because I actually don't know why I'm still doing it. It's episode 221. I looked at all of the episodes and I've never done this before, but I started calculating how many hours have you actually recorded and how many people have listened to this? I think I average about 300 listeners per episode and I get a lot of emails. I guess if your podcast is live, people are trying to help you promote it. They have businesses that try to help you promote your own podcast. And they've even you know contacted me and told me how to use social media and how to create a website and how to promote it. And I've realized I don't want that because I might live in fear that let's just say I promoted this and got more listeners. That means you also get more haters. So when you get more people that love it, you also get more people that hate it. And I learned that in radio. When a show I was doing started to get higher ratings, my co-host was like, you realize we're going to get more hate mail. We're going to have more fans, of course, but we're going to get more hate mail. And I was like, no, I don't like that. I think I like a smaller signal and a smaller audience and a smaller show. It just kind of like folks that get you, which is why I Obviously would not succeed in radio. We're supposed to just promote, 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 promote. Promote, promote. Tweet, tweet, promote. Make grand statements. Say something controversial. Light up the phones. There's a recipe to that success. I don't like that recipe. I like what we got here. I like this mom and pop shop podcast. It's my ikigai. I come in here. My girls are asleep right now. I come in here at night. My wife's watching some fixer upper show. How many houses need to be renovated? I mean, hundreds, hundreds. My wife has watched hundreds of homes being renovated and she likes it. There's a big audience for that. And I come in here and I flip on the old mic and I say, it's time for Ikigai. It's time for me to connect with the people of Okinawa because I guess I want to live a long life. How long though? Only if it's a quality life. Like, I'll say I want to go to 100, but I don't want 100 if I'm just suffering, if I'm blind and deaf, wrinkled head to toe, organs failing, but I'm just like, keep me going. Then what's that? Then, then what are you doing? So I know taking care of yourself to get to that level, but it's also luck. Let's be honest. It's just luck. I got to watch the rest of this docu-series, but there was one thing he touched on and that's diet in America. See in Okinawa, they're eating smaller portions of caloric rich food that's more condensed than what we're eating we're just you know filling our plates to the brim at the buffet line and we're going to costco and we're supersizing still and we eat a lot and i eat a lot i love eating a lot i just do and we don't really focus on portion control right we like seconds okay thirds and then yeah i guess you could slide over a dessert menu just to take a look we all just take a look at the dessert menu don't we And then let's agree to share three of them. All right, let's just agree to share. I'll put a fork in it. Actually, a bigger fork. We need more forks at the table, please. Portion control? But the people of Okinawa who are 102 years old, they know about portion control. They actually showed their food versus our food. So why do we eat such big portions? I guess it's traced back to farmers who started exporting more, big business, spread the soy, spread the corn, spread the soy, spread the corn. Oops, we uh, grew too much corn and we grew too much soy. So now let's just flood the excess materials into the grocery stores and let's sell bigger boxes of food, bigger canisters of food. Let's just sell bigger packages of food and make meals bigger because the farmers grew too much and they don't want it to go to waste. They want to make money off that food. And what do we do? We happily oblige. Okay, I'll eat it. 70% of America is overweight or obese. I forget the stat. Overweight and obese are different things I know, but a lot of America is doughy, chunky and it's not our fault it's not your fault it's not your fault it's this diet you're being fed it's the government it's the fucking government that's what this podcast should become just conspiracy theories because the government is putting fattening uh agents in our foods and um and they benefit because they're in contact with ufos and the ufos are monitoring us and making sure that uh Our currency is listening to us. Our cash is probably watching us when we sleep. And the government, you know what I mean, we're all fat for a reason. That's how America adopted big business is going to sell us food in bigger portions. But on this island of Okinawa, they don't give a shit. They're going to eat their purple, sweet potatoes in smaller portions and live to the 100. And they don't care about all our nonsense from Instagram to Facebook to Twitter. They don't tap the apps all day. Instead, this old lady was like 101. She's throwing rings. It's like a cornhole game where they just throw rings onto these bottles like they're at the carnival or something. They're all laughing their asses off. They're all playing these interesting instruments. Just watch the first episode of Blue Zones on Netflix. Tell me if you're interested, if it touches you, if it's like really stimulating content. If you're like, we knew all this shit. We can't live that way. We can't. Maybe that's the tough part. As you watch these people, you're like, I, j- I can't. I can't go Japanese. I-, I can't just adopt the Japanese lifestyle. I still live here. I live here where we have circuses. We have circuses in America still. And there's no animals at the circus anymore. But guess what, folks? I went to the circus. I did it. There was a circus. It was so close. I had to go to the circus. There was a circus in my neighborhood. And it's called Circus Caballero from Jalisco, Mexico. And it was amazing. It was great. They had everything. They had acrobats. They had the trapeze. They had the aerial dancers. They had the jugglers. They had the clowns. When I say they have everything, did I miss the animals? Yes. I mean, look, I don't like animal cruelty. I don't. But I used to like, you know, watching the bears on the bicycles. I remember going to the Cow Palace and seeing just, like, animal cruelty on display. But to my 12-year-old eyes, it was entertaining. That's how I feel about a lot of things. I don't condone it. That's immoral, but shit, that was entertaining. The steroid era in baseball? Are you kidding? The late 90s? The ball was flying, and now we condemn it. We look back, and we go, "Oh, what a stain on the game. Bullshit, it was so fun. Bears on bikes? Even right now, go to YouTube. Bear on a bike, fun. Pig on roller skates? Fun. But someone says, you know the pig's being abused? And you go, I don't stand for that. You ever seen the whale show at SeaWorld? So fun. Get in the splash zone. Get in the splash zone as a kid was so fun. But, oh, you saw Blackfish, the documentary. Can't have that. So I'm like completely contradicting myself. I have morals, but damn, that shit's entertaining. I am a man of high standards, but the splash zone was so amazing. Spending the whole day soaking wet and talking with your friends about that whale man. When he came up, oh shit, that was a hell of a cannonball, huh? Yeah, it was great. And now I don't, think, I don't think Shamu's doing the Splash Zone anymore. I think he retired. Blackfish, if you saw the documentary, you'll agree with me. There shouldn't be whales in captivity at SeaWorld, even though I had a season pass. Who needs a season pass to SeaWorld? I had a season pass in San Diego. I will just go to SeaWorld for like a beer and some fries, and yeah, I guess I'll catch the animal show, a little dolphin action. I'll stop by on my way to a buddy's house to SeaWorld. People travel from all around to come to SeaWorld, and I lived like five minutes away. And just would stop by with my season pass. That's real passive whale viewing. If you you ask me, that's very nonchalant Shamu observing. That I was doing. The coolest thing you could do right now is go to YouTube and watch the high divers at SeaWorld in the early 80s. Just type it in. YouTube SeaWorld High Divers early 80s. They were going from like 7,000 feet up and getting judged with scores. And it was insane. But yeah, that sea World, that Shamu doesn't happen anymore because we have morals now. That's what we're doing, right, in society. Are we improving with our morals? I hope so. But I went to the circus and my girls enjoyed it. It was so loud. I mean, it was fine. It was a little loud. Um, it was okay. Actually, when we left, my wife was mortified. I'll be honest. I was like, that was fun. It was a little long, but it was good, right? Worth the money. Glad we got out of the house. And my wife's like, that's a lot of child labor on display. And that's a lot of people who are probably not making a livable wage to go city to city on the trapeze. And my wife seemed to like see the darkness, the dark underbelly of the traveling circus from Jalisco. And I was like, at face value, I enjoyed it. But now that I were talking about it, yeah, that's uh, kind of depressing. And there was no one there. There was like a thousand seats and 38 people in the crowd, which means people are staying home. Lazy motherfuckers are staying home on their devices, eating their supersized fries. You're not going to the circus, are you? Why not? Because you could just go to YouTube and type in circus and that's fine. People aren't going to the circus. The circus will be extinct in a few years, right? No one's going to this circus and they were impressive. But yeah, there were little kids who probably aren't going to school and they're just working their asses off to ride the motorcycles in the cage of doom, which was dangerous. They actually did that five motorcyclists in this ball cage. You're in a ball cage That's a death wish. I was nervous. I was like, are we are we about to witness the first crash in the cage? And then we'll be in the news and I'll be interviewed by the local news team. And I'll say things like we had my family there and we didn't expect the motorcyclists to collide. But my goodness, that was a fiery mess. And uh, yeah. So what time is this newscast air? You know? The ego comes in. It's all about you. i got to text my friends. I'll be on the news tonight. Sir, you just watched straight carnage and destruction in the motorcycle ball cage. And you're asking what time's the newscast on so you could tell your friends that you'll be interviewed on the nightly news. What's wrong with you? Jalisco, though, putting out some of the great performers. What's their goal? To get to Cirque du Soleil? To get to Vegas? I don't know. What is this? The minor leagues of circus workers? I don't know, folks. Sometimes I don't even care to overthink it, though. That's why I still eat hot dogs. You can't eat hot dogs if you overthink it because you are eating a bunch of balls, blood and guts. You're just eating balls that are darkened and seasoned and delicious, but it's balls of many different animals and it's cased in that casing and you broil it or you grill it and it's good. But I did once see how hot dogs were made and I stopped eating them for two years, but now I guess I don't care again. Oh, come on, morals. Come back to me. Come here, morals. Where are you? I know they're around here somewhere. Like, uh, if there was a bear on a bike, would I have gotten upset? If there was a bear, feet stapled to a bike at the circus, and we were all giggling and laughing and saying, you know, put a silly hat on the bear, would I go, hey, that bear should be out in the wild. That bear should be in the wild, not on a bike entertaining me. I don't know. I'd love to say I'd be the animal rights activist who identified that bear should be in the wild. But in the moment, look at the bear has those shoes on, the bear has those hat on, the bear's on a bike. Girls are laughing, giggling. All right, it's good we don't have the bears on the bike. Or maybe that's why no one was in the crowd. It was sad. No one was there. And I reached an age where I have measurable energy reserves. Like I know in the morning how many things I could do. This is what 42 is. You got to be so smart and honest with who you are, what you're capable of, and not going past that. Like in the morning, I like to go on a run. Okay, a typical weekend. If a friend texts, you want to kick it. I'm like, "Uh, what time? And if it's too close to something else, I got to say no. I can't double up recreation activities. We're going to the circus. The whole day has to be geared toward we're going to the circus. Then we go out to pizza afterwards. You know, if it's with the fam, good, but I exhaust myself. And it shows up in little conversations. Like if a neighbor comes over and we have neighbors who come over and the conversation lasts too long and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I'm giving too much energy to this moment. I know this is antisocial sounding, but if there's some impromptu socializing, all of a sudden, it's robbing my energy for later. So I know where the energy reserves are. I got a little bit here. Okay, I could, I could do four minutes of energetic socializing. And I could probably go on a run and then, yeah, a phone call with a friend or a family member. I still got that. But we got the circus tonight, so I got to ease off the pedal. I got I got to get couch time. And I set the internal timer of couch time needs to be at least 40 minutes to an hour of college football if i don't get 40 minutes to an hour of college football then i'm irritated and i don't know i'm upset and it's all about me i needed to watch a little last today i wanted to watch Dion and the buffaloes Dion sanders in the colorado buffaloes that sounded like i was talking about some 1950s doo band i wanted to watch Dion and the buffaloes perform I wanted to watch USC. I wanted to watch Cal football. You know, I get all whiny. College football's so great. I'm watching virtually none of it. When you have a five and a two year old, it's a lot of coco melon, folks. It's a lot of teeny ping. Catch, catch, teeny ping. Still bumping the South Korean music, loving it, as you know. But you know yourself, you can't, you can't stay up till midnight and think the next day is going to be okay. The next day is going to be brutal. That's 42. What am I going to be like at 60? Oh shit. I'll be in Okinawa. I guarantee I will have moved. If I want to survive, I have to go to Okinawa. And then we got to watch another blue zones episode tonight. So I could see people from other regions living to 100. And what's their secret? What is their secret? I got a neighbor actually, who's probably close to a hundred. He came over today. I'm not kidding. He brought a piggy bank. He goes to the thrift store every week. And he collects golf balls at the golf course. And he's had at least a couple of strokes since I've known him. But the guy keeps going. The Energizer Bunny, our next door neighbor. He came over and he knocked on the door while I was in the bathroom. And my five-year-old answered it. We haven't had that talk yet. We'll have that talk this week of, yeah, don't answer the door. She answered it. And it was old Vince with a piggy bank he got at a thrift store. He just gave her a gift. And she was just like, thank you. And it wasn't weird to her. That old Vince would just give her a present from a thrift store. And I came out, I was like, what's happening? What? Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. Hey, how are you doing? And uh, it was weird to me. It was weird to me. I even came to the door without a shirt. I never do that. But folks, <laughs> let's just say I've lost a few pounds. You want to display the tight, the toit bod, you know, about three times a year. It looks good. So right now I'll answer the door without a shirt. What's going on here? Oh, he's got a piggy bank. All right. What's up, Vince? And instead of, yeah, enjoy he stayed there. He stayed there for about 15 minutes of neighbor talk, which is fine, which is fine. But I looked on the back end of it. I go, uh-oh, might not have much later tonight on the couch with my wife. Will this take away from my brain energy for a podcast? I'm always thinking that way. That means I have, what, severe OCD, neuroses? I don't know. But you got to understand your energy levels and how they're distributed. Now, what did Vince say? Vince and I are having a serious talk. After the piggy bank talk, after the cute talk about the piggy bank, I said, Mila. Um, go put some quarters in that and put the piggy bank on a shelf. And he said, you see what is happening to our neighborhood? And I was like, yeah, actually I did see. And this is true. We had some cars get their windows bashed in and just a bunch of glass all over the block. And I'm like, this peaceful street, what's happening to us? A little crime spree. And he was so pissed. He's like, yeah, cops aren't going to do anything either. I was like, yeah, that's right. And I even said something like, "I'll I'll be on the watch though. What the hell did that mean? I'll be on the lookout, though. You don't worry. And then, for the next 15 minutes, old Vince wanted to tell me all the crime that's ever happened in our neighborhood. You know, you're back. That guy up the hill was beating his old lady. He said that in front of my daughter, who doesn't know anything about domestic violence or that some women are called old lady. In Vince's world, you know, Vince is probably 100 years old. You call someone's wife the old lady. My old lady. I don't even know the origin of that. Is it funny? I don't know. You decide. Are you laughing right now? But Vince is talking about, you know, these car windows being bashed in. And he's like, that guy, you know, a couple of years back, he's beating his old lady. I was like, oh, God, Vince, Miley, get out. Go to the playroom. Go to the backyard. Get out of here. And then he's like, and then yeah, you know, these crackheads over there in the corner, I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. The raw, untold truth of Tierra Linda. And he's saying, we got that walkway. It's like a beautiful walkway. It's not like a dark alley. And he was telling me some ugly shit that went down there with drug use and vandalism and he had to call the cops and he was certain that someone he was certain that someone once robbed a bank and just parked their unmarked car across the street from his house and when he called the cops they said what's the license plate number and he says you want to come over here and give me some weapons so i can go check he was that worried and scared of this car that he believed robbed a bank and just parked in front of his house Sounds like he's been making up some stories. But nevertheless, nevertheless, we honor our elders in this community. And we should probably explain to our children that when the old neighbor comes around, he's not interested in using PC terminology. He also said a few things that we don't say anymore in the world of, uh, how do I say this, referring to other ethnicities and cultures. But hey, I guess he got grandfathered into my world, right? What am I going to do, teach him? What do we got to turn it into ethnic studies with this guy? Come on. How much energy do you think I had? I was just trying to get the exit going. All right. You know, the old wrap it up. Okay. (laughs) You enjoy that. Terrific. Thanks for coming by. And he's still standing there. Okay, pal. How many transition words do you need before you get the hint? There are no hints. Okay. There are no hints until the door just closes on his mustache. Speaking of closing on the mustache, just kidding, I have nothing. What if that was my best transition ever? And speaking of closing on the mustache, the last Freddie Mercury concert that he ever played, when he had the stick mic running around the stage with the Superman shirt, Montreal 1981. That wasn't his last show, but you can watch that on you A lot of YouTube recommendations right now, right? Freddie Mercury's show in Montreal. Watch the whole thing. I've talked about that before. And also, watch the whole thing of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You're like, what kind of, what? What kind of reference is that? I realized... That when my sister, my sister's like four years older, rented Ferris Bueller when we were little from Flick's video, that I haven't seen it since. And I know all the references to Ferris Bueller, and I love the idea of the movie, but really all of those are such distant memories that I really don't know the movie. We all know Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You could picture Matthew Broderick and Cameron right now. You could picture Ben Stein. You could picture a lot of scenes in the movie, but when's the last time you actually watched it? Guess the year it came out. Guess, I'll give you a moment. Guess right now. No, not not even close. It was 1986. What were you saying? Like 1989, 1990? No, 86. Listen to me. 86? What would I remember from back then? Nothing. But we were watching this boring, boring show. Only Murders in the Building has jumped the shark so many times. Why are we even watching? Because they have a cast with Steve Martin, Martin Shorts, Selena Gomez, Paul Rudd, Meryl Streep, Mel Brooks had a cameo. I mean, it's like endless big names, and you're like, why is this so boring? And then in one of the episodes, Matthew Broderick's there. I'm like, he's so old now and boring, and he's a bad actor. Matthew Broderick's a bad actor now. I I, I paused the show and told my wife, this is bad acting. This is a guy just reading the script for a paycheck. It's not good, like I know anything about. Good acting, bad acting. And I was like, Matthew Broderick, why is he so famous? Like, I guess Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And then I said to my wife, was it even that good? And then we put it on the other night. Oh, shit, it's good. It's so good. Like, does it hold up from 1986? It's better than most movies today. The story is compelling from the jump. The soundtrack's thoroughly great. Thoroughly. I mean, the parade scene, when you're, Danke, Shane. And I didn't even realize... All right, I'm embarrassed to say, I didn't realize that was Wayne Newton. Was Wayne Newton a child singer? Because if you ever heard that original, Don Shane, you're like, is that an 11-year-old? That's Wayne Newton. I picture Wayne Newton as a very, very old act in Vegas. You know, like Tom Jones. Like, that's, that, that's old man stuff in Vegas. Wayne Newton, is his name Wayne Newton? Wayne Fig Newton, they called him? Singing Don Shane and then Matthew Broderick Ferris is doing the lip singing, and then shaking a baby now? Little Beatles. Is it shaking a baby? Is that really the lyric? Shaking a baby now. Shaking a baby. See, back then, people didn't question shit. They just liked that the Beatles were shaking babies. But it was a great scene. And then, obviously, the Ben Stein scene where he's taking attendance. He's taking the role. And he says, Bueller. Bueller. I've known that clip my whole life. But we watched it in real time. And you realize something. Holy shit. High school can be so boring. And I don't think this movie was exaggerating it. I think there's plenty, plenty of high school classes to this day that are just torture for teens. And it's not because the classes are necessarily that bad, but we're talking to 15, 16 year olds about biology, physics, chemistry, history, math, English, Spanish, PE. What do they want to be doing? Where does this show up on their list of priorities? If a 15, 16, 17 year old woke up and school wasn't even a concept, just ask them, what do you want to do today? How many of them would say, I'd like to sit in a very stiff desk with an older person telling me to write down some equations or maybe some notes about key stats in a battle or maybe understanding osmosis on a deeper level? or maybe understanding the plus quam perfecto form of some of the Spanish verbs. Fuck you. Fuck you. If you think any teenager naturally wants to do what we force them to do. And it's good that we force them to do this because, you know, it's a reward system. It'll green light and open up some doors in the future. And college is fun. College is fun. High school can be fun too. I mean, classes can be fun. But Ferris Bueller captures the boredom. At such a perfect level of these classes and then the looks on these teens faces and then when the bell rings oh my god shot out of a cannon kids leaving a class when the bell rings in the 80s it was everything it looked fun you know even after saying all of this ferris's high school looked more fun than today to me because today i do see too many phones and too many kids just watching some high divers from sea world on youtube during breaks and during lunch and back then you just figured. These kids, yeah, at the bottom line, they were talking to each other. I think there was more in-person communication going back to Okinawa. Not device communication, but really surround yourself with a solid group of friends. That was probably, that was the only thing that was happening in the 80s. You're surrounded with your group. Whatever it is, jocks, nerds, I guess that's the only two groups of the 80s according to these movies. But nowadays, I mean, damn, damn you screen time and my screen time is down to an hour and a half a day all right where's the applause break the other part about ferris bueller i realized that my wife and i were fully on board with this you cheer for him he's taking the day off of school you don't cheer for the vicious principal by the way why does the principal care about his absence so much has anyone ever asked that who is that actor by the way who plays the dean the principal and ferris bueller he's so scary he's from every 80s movie howard the duck i've seen him so many times Who's Harry Crumb with John Candy. I went on a date to see Who's Harry Crumb. A date when I was in elementary school with my girlfriend, Whitney. Our parents dropped us off at the movie theater and we watched... Actually, we went to two movies. Who's Harry Crumb and Put Another Shrimp on the Barbie starring Cheech. Cheech Marin. I was dating girls in elementary school. Okay, folks, I was ahead of my time. I was a a bit of a womanizer. I think I dated every single girl throughout my grades... By the time i was in eighth grade and then i went to high school i was like uh what there's no one else we've already all been boyfriend and girlfriend there's it's dry the well has gone dry that's what happens when you go from kindergarten through senior year of high school with the same crew you dated them all you took them all to see harry crumb with john candy you took them all to see put another shrimp on the barbie with cheech marin are these real movies you're wondering google it are these good movies god no oh yeah but if those classes were so boring, the filmmaker, was it John Hughes? I bet it was. And then Jennifer Gray's in it. She's his angry sister. In every scene, she's so angry with Ferris, and he's so savvy with all this. He's actually a con artist. That's my takeaway. Ferris Bueller is a con artist. He's savvy. He likes to eat at fancy restaurants. He likes to go to a Cubs game, go downtown. He likes to shine, and he can't shine in high school. So we cheer for him. Get out of that high school. Don't go back to that high school. Let let him have a sick day, even if he faked it. We cheer for that. We don't cheer for the school. But me every day, I'm a high school teacher after all this, uh, this whole rant. When I take attendance and I have absences, I'm like, damn, where is that kid? Come on. Haven't seen that kid in two days. Like I'm all disappointed if students aren't in desks. But I'm watching Ferris Bueller and just cheering my ass off. Stay away from the school, Ferris. You go to the Cubs game. You have a great day. And I I just love it, folks. I just love Love it. You know what else I love? Stuts. There's a movie, Jonah Hill made this movie about his psychiatrist, their relationship. And if you haven't seen it, it's so worth watching. But if you haven't seen it, I'll give you the condensed version right now. And why do I have a condensed version? By the way, if you want to stop the podcast now because you don't need any more mental health education, that's fine. We had a good time. I appreciate you coming this far. But right now, I got to describe a gift I got on my birthday. I was getting a lot of nice gifts, anything from new sweatpants to essential oils to a pair of shoes to endless bagels. I was getting some nice gifts. And then my wife handed me a journal titled Josh's Tools. And it turns out that as I've gone to bed early some nights, she has stayed up and rewatched Stutz, the documentary, and written down. All of these tools all of these notes for me with the visuals because that's part of the documentary is that this therapist he has very easy to follow visuals to help us navigate ourselves through difficult times through life which is a bunch of difficult times and she gave me this journal i was like oh this is uh what, what do you call it the greatest gift ever something that i'll actually keep forever in my nightstand and it's her handwriting which is sweet. There's a lot of sweetness to this gift, but I was thinking therapy's so expensive. Most people aren't going to therapy because it's expensive. If therapy was like totally free, so many people would just go to therapy. If the gym was free, so many people would be working out, but hey, that's not how America works. Nothing's free, but I wanted to just go through some of these tools. See if they apply to you to get through the highs and lows. If you're low right now, see if they apply to you. If you're high right now, <laughs> congrats. All right. Here we go. A little stuts for you. A little stuts from my Josh's Tools journal. I'm going to go through some of these visuals. All right, so this is the life force pyramid. If you don't know what to do with yourself in life, work on your life force. Everything else will fall into place. So it all starts with body. Right now, take care of your body, which means sleep, diet, fitness, floss, do whatever you have to do. The next rung... Up on that pyramid, people, connection, community, relationships, and then at the very top is yourself, the unconscious self as well. Write your thoughts, see yourself, meditate, check in with yourself because it's easy to go on autopilot. It's easy to just go through the day without a true check-in and then you stop knowing yourself. It's actually weird, isn't it? That meditation is a check-in, but it's difficult to focus on a breath or focus on yourself or just detach from all the stimuli around you and say, all right, how am I doing right now? How am I doing? Mirror yourself to yourself so you really get to check in. So that's your life force pyramid. Moving on to part X. This is the villain in the story of just simply being a person. We all have this. Whenever faced directly, when adversity comes our way, a judgmental part of us, an antisocial part of us, this invisible force keeps us from changing or growing. We resist. The voice of impossibility comes into our mind. Whenever we're challenged with something familiar, we're just weighed down with the baggage of, I can't change this. I've dealt with this problem before in the past. I've dealt with people like this. I'm just, I'm always going to be this way. Like You can't get rid of it. So if you work on part X, the villain within ourselves that feels like we can't change, like we're stuck, then you're going to be stuck. You actually have to work on that and admit that you feel stuck to get unstuck. All right. The next one, three aspects of reality. There are three aspects that everybody is dealing with at all times, and that is pain, uncertainty, and constant work. So no one gets to avoid those three. I'll say them again. Pain, uncertainty, and constant work. You got to live with it. You can't run from any of this. We need these. Without these, there'd be no growth. There'd be no progress. And you can't live your life without growth and progress. There has to be growth and progress in order for any of this to feel worthwhile. This existence, it has to feel worthwhile. So you lean into it and you just say, we got to learn how to love the process of dealing with all of these pain, uncertainty, constant work. You're doing it right now. You have some pain, some level of pain. We all have uncertainty. We don't really know anything where we came from, where we're going. We live like that. We live in this mystery bubble. And then constant work. It's where the tools come in. You have to love those things. Like you wake up tomorrow, even if it feels shitty at first, you're like, here we go. Here we go. Give me that constant work. It's constant. There's never a day where you're like, I'm just not going to brush my teeth. I'm not going to shower. I'm not going to communicate. I'm not going to work. That doesn't exist. Every day is work. Constant work. Get better. The next one called string of pearls. I'm the one that puts the pearl on the next string. Each pearl is action. Action. Each action has the same value. So each pearl, which is action, could be a success or a failure. They're all weighted the same. Either way, you keep going. Add another pearl every day. Move forward, you move back. They're all the same. Each pearl has a turd right in the middle. No action will come out perfectly, but you don't have to blow things out of proportion along the way. The string of pearls. If something feels bad, don't let it outweigh. The good, if something's good, don't let it outweigh the bad. If this is simple, you're doing great. The shadow. Actually, this was my favorite. This one resonated deep. The part of yourself that you're ashamed of. Everyone lives with this. Shame. Things that you would never talk about. You find your shadow. That shameful version from within. Things that you don't like about yourself. If you could locate it, look at it. You wish you weren't all those things that you were ashamed of from within. But you are. You can't get rid of it. Ask your shadow how it feels. Talk to your shadow right now. Talk to your shadow. Give it some attention or else your shadow is going to disrupt your whole life. Be in sync with your shadow. Actually reach toward the shame and know that everyone feels it so it unites all of us. Everyone's got some shame. Things that have happened to you, things that you don't understand about yourself. So that's the shadow. You got to actually talk to it. Be with it. Be with it. Don't run from it. What are you running from? Yourself? Come on, stop. The snapshot. The next one's called the snapshot. This is all the Stutz tools. The realm of illusion. Maybe I'll end with this one. It's been a long, uh, it's been a long podcast so far, but I'm going to end with this. I'm not going to get to all of them. Why would I do that to you? Why, why would I ruin what could be great future lessons and future podcasts? But the snapshot, also known as the realm of illusion. What's that? The realm of illusion. It's all of us looking for a perfect experience. The word perfect. Can it even be a part of our vocabulary? Perfect. No, actually, it doesn't exist. It's an image. It's in our mind. But a snapshot has no movement or depth. You can't enter it. So what does exist? Three aspects of reality. Pain, uncertainty, and constant work. It all came full circle. Whatever you're idealizing, it's not that. It's it's actually not that. You think of something that sounds perfect. Oh, being with that person sounds perfect. Going on that trip sounds perfect it might be good but nothing's perfect nothing understanding that it's the key to the studs documentary all right i'm gonna start charging for this podcast that last part uh, that felt like i'm selling some therapy and it's not even my own therapy it's jonah hill conveying the messages of his own therapy and does it work i don't know i think the reason my wife made this journal for me is because i was going to forget everything I was like so moved and so touched the night we watched this and then obviously you just forget over time you forget your tools that's why we lapse so many people are lapsing you make progress you lapse and that feels so shitty doesn't it to lapse to make progress in life and then to lapse Ugh, it's the worst but i guess you have to accept it constant work constant work Constant work. That'll do it. That's episode 221. I do appreciate you tuning in. And I mean that. I know I say that every episode, but it's cool. I really appreciate that you make it through these. Leave a nice rating or review on iTunes and have a special day, folks. Much love. The episode's done. We'll talk soon.